Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. Ho, ho, ho. It's the Christmas edition of Hollywood and Levine, and I am jolly old Ken Levine, your podcast host. And today... A lot of stuff about the season. First of all, I'm going to have some random Christmas ramblings. I'm going to talk about working on Christmas, uh, Christmas movies, Christmas TV specials, and Christmas felons. Then I'm going to talk a little bit about show gifts, all of the gifts that you receive if you are working on a television show. And you know, that's the jackets and the, they're the gifts that you cannot return. And finally, another touching story, Christmas in Las Vegas should be fun. Thank you for joining me. Let's get it going now. Hollywood and the Vine. Okay, I start out with a very touching story. We go back to 1974 and I'm a disc jockey. And I was working at a radio station in San Diego called KSEA. And I got a job in Los Angeles at a big station called K100. And this was like in August, I believe, of 1974. And I was there for a few months, and then I got fired. So now I'm kind of at a crossroads. I had a real nice apartment at that time in Westwood near UCLA that I knew I couldn't afford since I was no longer making pretty big money at this radio station. And I was kind of at a crossroads as to whether to continue in radio as a disc jockey or seek my fame and fortune as a television writer and work with my partner, David Isaacs. At the time, David was living in Los Angeles and he was working at ABC, schlepping film cans in a department that has long since become obsolete. Well, I got a call from KSEA offering me my job back. And so I decided, yeah, okay, I'll take it. And I went down to San Diego And so now we're looking at maybe October. And do you ever have those moments in your life where you just know you made the wrong decision? Well, this was one of those for me. I was back in the radio station, and it was the very first night on the air, and something just hit me, and I thought to myself, this was a mistake. 
I should have stayed in L.A. But they were so nice to me at the station. They gave me my job back, and uh, as opposed to K100, where it was pretty awful. The way I got fired, by the way, from K100, uh, the program director called me into his office and said, hey, babe, we're making some changes, and you're one of them. And I said, what do you mean? Uh, you're going to change my time slot? No, babe, you're out. So that was it. Well, they treated me much nicer at KSEA in San Diego, but I just didn't really want to be there. So what I figured I would do is this. My birthday was in February, and it was now October. So I thought, you know what? I will stay through my birthday, which gives them a good uh, four or five months, something like that. And then my birthday present to myself is that I will quit and then go to L.A. and just try to get a job doing anything and become a writer. So that was my plan. Now, we hit December. And the rating periods for cities like San Diego, which are major markets, but they're not like L.A. or Chicago. So there's only a couple of times a year when Arbitron would take ratings for the San Diego market. And one of them was the October-November book that came out in December. So we have our Christmas promotion, and all of a sudden the ratings come out, and I get a call to come down to the radio station for an emergency jock meeting. Uh-oh. Those never sound good. We get down to the station, and I take a look at the ratings, and the station's in the toilet. I mean, they're just doing terrible. They're doing like ones and twos. And unfortunately, I'm getting like about a 10 share, okay? It's like I'm the only disc jockey pulling down numbers. So I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's going to be that much harder for me to quit. Well, we go in, and the program director says, well, you know, the book came out, and the ratings are rather disappointing, and management has decided to change the format. To what? They're going to go all gospel music from Top 40 Rock and Roll. And we said, when is this going to happen? And he looked at the clock and he went, uh, 45 minutes. Needless to say, we were all fired. And the promotion that we had that year was Christmas the way it was meant to be. Actually, I was thrilled as a result. In fact, I called Bobby Rich, who was the program director of a competing station in town, uh, KFMB, AM, and he said to me, okay, well, listen, nobody knows this yet, not for publication, but we're going to flip our FM station to top 40 in March. That became B100, if you are familiar with San Diego Radio. And he said, you can have any shift you want, and I will make you my assistant program director. I'll pay you more money than you were making at KSEA, and I'll put you on the payroll right now. And I said, Bobby, that's a great offer. I'm really flattered, but I'm going to go to L.A. to starve. And I did. I ended up working weekends at B100, but still, that was the turning point for me 
when I finally decided to pursue television writing full-time, I think it was probably a good decision, Christmas the way it was meant to be. Isn't that touching? Everybody fired December 18th? Ah, lovely. Some of my holiday memories growing up, I used to love when TV variety shows were big, and everybody had a variety show, Flip Wilson, Carol Burnett, and uh, there was just a great Carol Burnett retrospective, by the way, that was on CBS several weeks ago, and Andy Williams. Now, Andy Williams was this middle-of-the-road crooner, and he had a variety show on NBC, and, you know, he would dress in sweaters and, you know, he would have the grinning Americans or, you know, some sort of wholesome group on all the time or the Osmonds. And the thing about the Andy Williams show was that it was in color. So that was like a big deal. You could watch a television show in color and he always had balloons and that sort of thing and everybody's wearing different color sweaters. It's just a treacly show. You just can't believe it. But... The Christmas show was never to be missed because he brought on his wife and his wife was named Claudine Loger and she was a very pretty brunette, doe-eyed French girl and they also had kids and I mean they took Christmas seriously, so serious that one of the kids was named Noel and so it would be this family show and I think PBS actually aired one of these Christmas specials a couple of years ago, or for all I know, they're airing it again this year. But I would always watch those, you know, and they would be singing Silent Night and the little drummer boy and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it was just so warm and, like I said, treacly. And then they got divorced. And Claudine Langer took up with a professional skier, Named Spider Savage. And she shot him to death. <laughs> in fact, uh, Saturday Night Live, they actually got in trouble for this. This was really, I believe, during the first year of SNL. But they had the uh, Claudine Langer ski jump competition. And what they would do is they would just show footage of skiers going off the side of the mountain and you would hear a gunshot and then the skier would fall to the ground. (laughs) So anytime, you know, you watch this beautiful, wholesome family, you're thinking, yeah, this is the lovely wife who shot her boyfriend to death. Now I want to talk a little bit about some holiday movies. It's a Wonderful Life. Now, that is a movie that I know people just adore, and I never have been able to really respond to it. For whatever reason, again, it just seemed a little cloying to me. And I wonder, even if you are a fan of that movie, I wonder, in this day and age, when Mr. Potter is actually running the country... Do you have the same feeling about the movie that you always did? My favorite Christmas movie is called A Christmas Story. And that is the one that you see on TBS 
on Christmas Day, they run a marathon. They just keep running it over and over and over for like 24 hours. And they've been doing this for like 20 years. I love this movie. I have seen every scene no less than 30 or 40 times. The only thing that I have not done, I've never seen the movie start to finish. You know, I always just tune in and there it is. And I watch it for half an hour or 45 minutes. Then I go off and do something else. And then two hours later, I come back and catch another 15-minute segment. And I've been doing that year after year after year after year. So I almost have the movie memorized, but I've never seen it from start to finish. There was a Broadway musical version of it that Fox is doing their live Broadway show feature for the year. And I think they are doing, uh, it's a Christmas, I know they are doing, uh, it's a Christmas story this year. Now, what is the Christmas story? It is basically taken from the memoir of Gene Shepard. And Gene Shepard was a gentleman who grew up during the Depression era in the Midwest, somewhere outside of Chicago. And he became a commentator and an author. And for years, Gene Shepard had a radio program on WOR in New York. And I think his show was on for an hour a night. But he would sit down at the microphone and he would just talk. He was just a spellbinding storyteller. I remember one time listening to the guy, and I had heard all this great stuff about Gene Shepard, and I finally went to New York, and I turned on WOR 710, and there he was, and I heard him for the first time, and he told this story about a neighbor in his building bringing a piano up into the apartment. That a piano was delivered and what they had to do, the pulleys, etc., to get the piano up to the fifth floor, I was spellbound. I mean, this was just mesmerizing. A guy talking about schlepping a piano, but that was Gene Shepard. And he wrote a number of short stories that were basically recollections of his childhood growing up in the Midwest, and that became The Christmas Story. Now, when it was originally released in 1983, just before Thanksgiving, it did not do well at all. It did meh at best. And it was really only when TBS and the Superstation decided to play it on a continuous loop for 24 hours every Christmas that it caught on and it became this cult hit. But when it was in the theater, it really, eh, it did not do much at all. And here is the final warm, touching thing I have to say about uh, the Christmas story. Like I said, Gene Shepard wrote all of these stories And originally, they were for magazine articles. Who do you think first published this lovely, 
family-themed, warm, fuzzy Christmas story. Playboy magazine. Ho, ho, ho. Back with more right after this. One clear sign that it's Christmas time in L.A. is that you start to see more and more TV show jackets. Because for years, this was the Christmas gift of choice uh, for staffs of various television shows. And that's fine if you happen to work on This Is Us. And it is not so fine if you happen to work on The World's Biggest Loser. You know, you just don't want to walk around with a jacket that says The World's Biggest Loser. When I was on Cheers that first year, it was great. We had these satin jackets. And, of course, that Cheers logo looks very cool. And I would walk around with that, and people would come up and... Of course, Cheers at the time was doing terrible in the ratings. So, you know, people would come up and say, oh, my God, I love that show. I love that show. And it was the first sense that we got that, you know, even though the ratings are bad, we're kind of an underground hit here. So that was nice to wear my Cheers jacket. I was very proud of that. Now, when I did that show for Mary Tyler Moore called Mary, I mean, who wants to walk around wearing a jacket that says Mary. So we had to have jackets with like just a a tiny patch on the side that said Mary. You know, and the other thing is now there are so many show jackets that you sort of feel like a schmuck walking around wearing the jacket. It's almost like you're bragging, you know, and, you know, big deal, the leftovers, walking around with a jacket that says the leftovers. Other gifts that are traditionally given are baseball caps. That's usually when the showrunners don't want to pop for jackets for the crew. T-shirts, same kind of deal. And if you ever get a show mug, you know you're about to be canceled. And when you're on Cheers, this is unbelievable. The Charles Brothers and Jimmy Burroughs gave everybody Cheers dartboards. They were handsome dartboards with the Cheers logo on it and everything. Uh, They were all wooden and, like I said, very nice. Except, at the time, we all had little kids. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's the worst possible gift you could give somebody with little kids. And for most of the people I know, we never even opened it. I think a lot of those Cheers dartboards are available right now on eBay, still probably unopened. When you're on MASH, Alan Alda gave us all really cool gifts. He gave us all watches and engraved on the back of the timepiece, it said Hawkeye. 1952. Again, it was like a really nice watch and it had the MASH logo on the face and all. And we had a new writer the next year who was very excited. He loved the watch and he was very excited over what Christmas gift Alan and the cast were going to get us that year. I mean, he just, he couldn't wait. So Christmas rolls along and here's what we got. They put together 
all of the segments of episodes where the cast sang and they pressed that as a record album and that was our Christmas gift. And this writer was fucking pissed. He was like, you guys got watches? And I get Loretta Switz singing. Yeah, so that that was <laughs> one of the great holiday gifts. Frazier, they gave us bicycles one year. That was really cool. Uh, most studios, I don't know if they do today, but they used to give out, you know, nice gifts. Silver keychains and bottles of wine and fruit baskets and Walkman and DVD collections, etc. But for many years, I worked at Paramount. And the holiday gifts there were always disaster first aid kits, huge honking flashlights, Thomas Road maps. Boy, that's something you don't need today. And guides for preparations for earthquakes. Everything spelled doom, especially the present that I got in 2005, the dreaded mug. I, of course, am no longer at that studio. Anyway, I still have all of my memories and some of this great Christmas swag. I have my It's All Relative fleece, my Big Wave Dave's cap, my Almost Perfect sweatshirt, my Late Line jacket, and my Late Line hat, my Kristen fleece, Conrad Bloom bowling shirt, Ask Harriet t-shirt, and George and Leo belt buckle, which I would all gladly trade for one This Is Us handkerchief. And let me just say this. All the shows that I worked on, the best gifts, by far, came from Everybody Loves Raymond. I remember one year, I got a DVD player, a scooter, a raincoat and a big police coat and a t-shirt, a scooter. Wow. I loved Everybody Loves Raymond. Coming back with more Hollywood and Levine, the holiday edition, right after this. Hollywood and Levine. I don't do it too much anymore, but for years, anytime I went out of town, I would write a humorous travelogue and I would send it to everybody on my address list. And then eventually I added the blog to that. And then I compiled all of them and put together a book, which you can buy on Amazon, Where the Hell Am I? Trips I Have Survived. But I want to share one of them now because it is the holiday season. And this, of course, was from several years ago. But as you prepare for Christmas and all of the holiday traditions, please take a moment now to reflect on the true meaning of the season. And nowhere is that more present than in Las Vegas, Bethlehem with slots. So here's my holiday travelogue from a few Decembers ago. Gather up the whole family, see where Claudine Lager is these days, and enjoy. Debbie, who is my wife, 
And I just got back from a brief weekend in Las Vegas, or as I like to call it, three-card Monte for the Red States. Many big attractions there this holiday weekend, the annual rodeo, the anti-aging conference, the Jose Luis Castillo Joel Casimir title bout. Hope I pronounced that right. But we were there to see Linda Etter. Miss Etter is a spectacular singer. She's kind of like Barbara Streisand, but at affordable prices, and you never have to suffer through Evergreen. Now, we've become friends with her manager, Dave, who graciously invited us to join him for her concert. And since we, you know, likely would have gone to Vegas for Christmas anyway, who doesn't, we gladly accepted. We stayed at the Mandalay Bay. Now, Dave is also the VP of something for the House of Blues. I mean, who knows more about the blues than the Jews? And he arranged for us to get a room on the House of Blues floor. It had two things that Debbie and I require in a hotel room, a fabulous view and voodoo decor. I'm not joking about the annual anti-aging conference, but am I the only one who finds it kind of odd to hold an anti-aging conference in the one place where people stay up all hours drinking, gorging, smoking, and enduring the enormous stress of losing their money? So my feeling is this. If the president of the anti-aging organization is not 117 years old, then it is a sham. Had Friday night dinner at Rum Jungle in the hotel. Very classy. Girls dance in cages above your head. Now, to me, this is classy to Vegas. It is positively elegant. Interesting crowd at the hotel because of all of the special events. A lot of shit kickers, and I assume that they're there either for the rodeo or to see Mamma Mia. And the prize fight attracted several hundred Reuben stutters, all decked out in jewelry and Oakland Raiders sweatsuits. I rode in the elevator with one. He was a mean-looking dude in black sunglasses, and he said, Hey, you here for the fucking prize fight? And I'm like, uh, no, uh, the Linda Etter concert. I am lucky I'm still alive. Uh, this week, a boxing title match. Next week... An ice spectacular featuring American Idol loser Diana DeGarmo. The headliner at the hotel was Larry the Cable Guy. And as I said, there was a full Broadway production of Mama Mia, not to mention a separate Mama Mia store. Now, someone had a great line about ABBA. They said, It's like being hit in the head with IKEA furniture. You appreciate the craftsmanship, but it hurts. I won $20 in blackjack. Debbie lost 55 cents in the slots. I doubt if we will be comped on the next trip. I think there were Christmas lights and decorations up all over town, but really in Vegas, who can tell? The waitresses were all very attractive with massive chests. If there was a flood on the casino floor, they would just float to the surface. But the most beautiful girl I saw was a parking valet attendant, and she was bundled in a heavy coat. It's December, it's cold in Nevada. And I figure if she got a boob job, I'm sure she could get an inside job. Maybe Santa will be good to her this year. The next day, we hit the beach. Yes, Mandalay Bay has its own beach. Unfortunately, the ocean was turned off. No waves. But Debbie and I took a long stroll along the grid that serves as the shore, and we gazed out at the horizon to see the Lance Burton Magician billboard on Las Vegas Avenue. And from there, we hotel hopped. 
We had to stop at the Excalibur, a casino in Sleeping Beauty's castle. This is home to the black socks, shorts, and wife beater shirt crowd. You know you're in trouble when they have a special parking lot just for motorhomes. And handing a pair of dice to one of these idiots is like handing a monkey a gun. Then on to the Bellagio, where Debbie and I checked out the Monet exhibit at their fine art gallery. Yeah, how can you go to Vegas and not stop in at a museum? I imagine when most of the tourists saw the ad for the Monet exhibit, they said, hey, they spelled money wrong. The paintings were glorious, and it was just nice to be in the only room in Las Vegas where everybody voted Democratic. I can only imagine the paintings Monet himself would have made, had he been in Las Vegas, the Imperial Palace, as seen from the Luxor. We headed home earlier this morning. McLaren Airport is the worst in the country regarding security checks. You actually do have to allow two hours. It's bad enough that you have to remove your shoes and your belts, but the spurs must come off too, and that takes some time. And now we're home shopping for voodoo wallpaper. Merry Christmas, everybody. Hollywood and Levine. And that will do it for the holiday edition of Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, Randy Thomas, Tiny Tim, and the Little Drummer Boy. You can always write me at hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Would love to hear from you. hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. And I do write you back. We will see you again next week. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Wherever you go, whatever you do, drive or fly safely. See you next time. Bye-bye. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.